0: how do you not hear that? Blog Talk Radio Lucis
1: Trust He, with Sarah and Dale McKechnie, President and Vice President of Lucis Trust, will discuss philosophical and spiritual topics essential to everyday life. Now here's your host, Robert Anderson.
0: Welcome. Inner sight is simply seeing that which is always present, but not yet fully recognized. You have, within you, the ability to see yourself and the world around you, in a new way, with new eyes. So, stay with us, and together, we'll look at the world and ourselves with Inner Sight. Our topic for today, The Psychology of God. Subtitle is The Factor of Analysis, Part 5. Before we explore this topic, I'd like to say a few words about Alice Bailey, founder of the Lucis Trust. Alice Bailey wrote, 24 books of esoteric philosophy, and those 24 books are the main inspiration for the dialogue that you hear on this show. The following thought is also from the works of Alice Baling. The fifth conditioning quality of the soul is the factor of analysis. It's a law that governs humanity. Analysis and the power to discriminate are divine attributes. This sounds as if analysis is an aspect of the consciousness of God. So how come we tend to think of analysis as focusing on the smallest detail and overlooking the real significance? Analysis doesn't seem very spiritual to me. I can
1: understand that. I suppose we all get a mental image of a Um, a scientist in a lab coat holding up a test tube to the light and studying its infinite, uh, tiny details. That's one type of analysis, and it's good. Scientists and others, bookkeepers and accountants who work on the level of the fine detail, keep the wheels of life humming, and they expand our understanding, particularly in science, of the minutest aspect of our planetary life. In fact, I think the scientific understanding of life on the cellular level and the atomic level is (coughs) deepening at an incredible rate at the same time that we are expanding our understanding of the vastness of space. Both are needed, and both, I think, are expressions of analysis. But I think we're also aware as human beings that the tendency to analyze can lead to nitpicking and um, a a critical, unsatisfied, judgmental tendency uh, of the personality. That's because we aren't approaching this law, which it is. The factor of analysis is a law, a spiritual law. We're not approaching it as it exists in the mind of God. And these programs are an attempt to express or understand a, a small portion of the psychology of God. These these seven attributes are given in the books of Alice Bailey as ways that we human beings can understand the divine psyche. These are after all called the psychology of God and because we are made by God these attributes also exist in human beings. So the tendency or the capacity to um, is a necessary component of the human mind.
2: Yes, it's another way of uh, saying we are made in the image of God uh, and this is part of that image. Uh, Our image is not just this physical image uh, because we have this same psychology, the, the same attributes that are passed on from God and these constitute part of that divine image in a sense. And uh, this factor of analysis, which we're talking about today, is what is most prominent uh, in human thinking now. It's, it's the way we think in the concrete level. And that's what the concrete mind is supposed to do. It's supposed mm-hmm. to analyze and to take things apart and see the differences in everything. And um, this is just what the human mind is doing now to a very great extent.
1: I suppose fashion designers do that when they uh, take apart a dress and figure out how it was made, and they reassemble the creation themselves. Uh, People who work in um, restaurants deconstruct a a dish and learn how to recreate it. Um, Those are types of analysis, but we're talking about something on a much higher level today, It reminds me of a capacity that the great uh, musician and composer Leonard Bernstein apparently had. I remember reading when he died that his obituary mentioned that as a musician, he would take a score, sit down with it, and examine it down to the very last note and detail until he was finally satisfied that he knew that score inside out. Then he was ready to perform it. And I thought that was so interesting that that expansive, uh, jovial personality had at the same time this infinite precision as as a musician to examine the score from the inside out until he knew its every detail. Then he could perform it as a whole piece in its entirety as a beautiful composition, but he had to have that foundation of an understanding of all the component parts. That is a little bit of an approximation, I think, of what we're talking about on a spiritual level where analysis comes in. And as I understand it, our role, humanity, is to use our mind because, as we know, man is from the Sanskrit manas, meaning one who thinks, We are supposed to use our mind to understand the world, the planet, and all that lives upon it, and to be able to recognize the touch of divinity within every fragment of our planetary life.
2: Yes, the focus should be at that level. Too often, though, we find today this uh, tendency to discriminate this ability. It's a capacity that we have, and it's good, this ability to discriminate and to distinguish one from the other. But it it sometimes, too often, it tends to uh, degenerate into a a criticism. Rather than a critique of something, it develops into a criticism, and then that becomes a negative thing. And that's a misuse of this um, divine uh, quality of analysis that we have.
1: I suppose what happens is that that capacity to analyze, to perceive, and note becomes a way of um, finding fault because it strengthens a a separatism in the personality that's looking on and uh, that judges and uh, finds uh, the other person being observed as a lesser being and oneself as a greater being. This is a misuse of the factor of analysis which Alice Bailey says must be applied within the field of synthesis. When I first read that, and probably the second and fifth and tenth times I read that, I thought to myself, what does she mean? The factor of analysis must be applied within the field of synthesis. But I think what she's saying is we can only understand or use the mind to note the fragments, the component parts, if at the same time, or ultimately, we see the wholeness of which they are tiny parts, and it's the same with looking at another human being. If we're going to note their characteristics, we have to never lose sight of their soul, their, their relationship and their ability to express a fragment of divinity. Then we see them in the proper proportion I mean, after all, Alice Bailey said, harmlessness is the completed point of view. Harmlessness is the completed point of view. That's interesting. Isn't it? At first, again, you say, what?
0: What what does that mean? You got me thinking about that.
1: (laughs) Harmlessness (laughs) is the completed point of view. It means you see the whole, the whole person, not just that which strikes your attention, because quite often what strikes your attention is something that you are busily um, denying in yourself
0: but perhaps the whole of you might be to look for the divinity within all people regardless of whatever stage they're at right now. Always. That's a good
1: position to start from. Then you have the ability to see the less-than-perfected areas within them without becoming judgmental or discouraged or critical because you see them in their, well, as my friend's mother said, in their immaculate concept, their ultimate perfection. I love that phrase.
2: Yes, and that trying to see from that angle is a good exercise in trying to uh, see from the angle of the soul, because the soul sees the whole, and it knows the whole, knows the whole plan and what the plan is working out, and uh, so it it doesn't judge; it just conveys that pure love of the love of God into its creation, and um, so that's why we have to try to think in those terms and think as the soul in the world and not as this self-centered, very personal personality.
1: One of our problems, I suppose, as human beings is that we are working with a brain and through a brain. And it's the brain, as I understand it, that is um, uh, governed by the senses of time and space time being the sense that things are broken up into uh, fragments, one preceding the other, and so on and so forth, rather than seeing the wholeness all at once, the eternal presence. We see life in terms of past, present, and future. And that means that we don't really see the, the synthesis, the field of synthesis in which we should be analyzing Alice Bailey said that the masters, the spiritual hierarchy, use analysis in terms of the law of cycles. They understand that there's an ebb and flow to life, that there's a light and a dark, and that there's a in breathing and outbreathing. And with that acute sense of timing, they know how to apply energy, how to apply um, stimulation or, as she says, emphasis. I suppose anybody who raises a child or anybody who works, say, in a, in a legislature of any sort knows that the factor of timing is terribly important. There's a time and a place for everything. Mm-hmm. And if you're not working in that right timing, even the best idea isn't going to materialize.
0: Yes,
2: and that's, that's being able to see what is working out behind all of these little bits and parts and pieces. And uh, in in terms of legislation, I suppose it's being able to see how this is, uh, when is the best time to bring a piece of legislation forward so that it uh, has the most beneficial effect.
1: And that's the use of discrimination in its proper sense, being able to judge the timing, to be able to know when the proper cycle has arrived, it implies great wisdom and also an ability to see things as they are, which Mm. is analysis.
0: For those people who just tuned in, you're listening to Inner Sight, our topic for today, The Psychology of God, the subtitle is The Factor of Analysis, Part 5. We have a special offer from the Lucis Trust. Uh, We've offered it before. Many of you have taken advantage of it. And have enjoyed it. Uh, it's a paper on the psychology of God, which is today's topic, and it'll afford you the opportunity to look at this topic in greater depth. Now, it's totally for free. There is no cost whatsoever, not even a shipping charge. So, if you'd like to uh, have this paper, uh, please uh, give us a call at one eight. Uh, excuse me, one eight six 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 nine five eight two four seven. That's one eight six 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 nine five eight two four seven. Now, uh, the psychology of God. It's a paper that's been taken from Esoteric Psychology, Volume Two, by Alice Bailey. So, uh, it'll I think it'll uh, it'll probably stimulate your interest to uh, buy the entire book. And by the way, we're not like a lot of companies. If you uh, if you request this paper and enjoy reading it, you're not going to get a phone call uh, whereby we, we ask you what you thought and whether or not you're going to buy the larger book. It's totally yours, free, no strings attached. So that's a question that people always seem to want to know. But um, give us a call then. Uh, the easy way to remember the phone number is one 866 ny Think of 1-866-NEW-YORK-LUCIS. LUCIS is L-U. CIS. Now by the way, donations to Lucis Trust are tax deductible and can be sent to Lucis Trust 120 Wall Street, New York, New York one zero 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 five. We appreciate your donations large and small. They're, they're an expression to us of your support. Uh, we thoroughly appreciate them because that's so those donations and well that's what keeps us on the air and enables us to continue doing these radio shows for you. So thanks again for what you've contributed in the past, and please continue to do so. We'd, we'd certainly like to continue doing these shows. So once again, um, donations can be sent to Lucis Trust, 120 Wall Street, New York, New York, 10005. And by the way, all of our InterSite programs can be heard on our website at www.lucistrust.org. Org. On the homepage, you'll find a link to today's program, which will be available for hearing in a day or two. Last week's program is already available, and many of our past programs can also be heard. Once again, it's www.lucistrust.org. The theme of each week's program is posted in advance on our website, so you can see in advance what next Sunday's program will be. I was thinking uh, the, uh, the discipline of uh, math, but in particular geometry, uh, I remember I didn't start started doing well in geometry in high school until it turned on, turned, it occurred to me that geometry is teaching me how to think, uh, that you are given, you are, there are several uh, items that you are given and from that, uh, from the givens, you were supposed to come to a conclusion and form a solution to the problem. Would that be an example of analysis? or?
1: Yes, I think so. Um, you can't uh, come to the solution until you've noted all the various um, uh, givens. If you jump over some of those, you uh, come up with the wrong um, uh, answer in math. Math is very exacting, and it's wonderful training for the mind because there's no cutting corners as far as I know. This is hilarious, me speaking about mathematics (laughs) with any sense of uh, uh, proficiency at all, but
2: I can appreciate um, it. I think I'm
0: in sync with you on that, (laughs) because it wasn't until I learned the humanitarian value of teaching the thought process in a better Mm -hmm. way that I finally said, hey, this is for me.
1: (laughs) I don't know. There there are so many ways in which we trip ourselves up. I am... I've been reading a book that's helping me to understand this factor of analysis. Alan Watts, the um, the once-upon-a-time Anglican priest-turned-Buddhist, wrote a book called um, The Book on the Taboo of Knowing Who You Are. And he talks in this book about the problem we have in the way we use our minds that deconstructs or um, compartmentalizes everything we see in the world without seeing the whole picture. And he gives this wonderful analogy of somebody looking through a picket fence as a cat walks by. So you're looking through the picket fence through this narrow opening, and a cat comes by. First you see the head, then you see the furry torso, and then you see the tail. Okay, then the cat turns around and comes back, and again you see the head followed by the furry torso, followed by the tail. And then he does another U-turn and again walks by you, head, torso, tail, so that you think the head always precedes the tail. And he says that with this view of the world, you miss the fact that every cat is a headed tail cat, a complete creature, and not one whose head always precedes the tail. <laughs> you you fail to see the wholeness of the creature by looking mm-hmm. through the slatted picket fence, and that's how we look at much of the world. Again, I think part of the problem is the brain with its tendency to break things down by time and space. But we, we need to learn to see the wholeness of life, and it's not easy. He says, can we imagine one lonely body, the only ball in the universe, in the midst of empty space? No, because there would be no energy, no motion to it. We see things in relation to others. We understand ourselves in relation to others. But at the same time, if we use that, that discrimination to separate ourselves apart from others, we're failing to see the one humanity.
2: And that's the real task, is to see the relationship. <clears throat> because uh, behind, behind the plan, and the, the plan calls for building relationships... Uh, on, on the pathway, on the return path back to God. In other words, you can't walk on this uh, return path without building relationships, because that is the fundamental way of, of uh, bringing all these parts and pieces together into seeing the whole. And uh, so it's, it's uh, the ability of the mind to distinguish between parts between forms is the beginning stage of a much higher kind of discrimination to uh, distinguish differences in consciousness and as we move up the scale of consciousness it becomes ever finer and finer distinctions that have to be analyzed and, uh, and decided upon and uh, recognized and those uh, build, also build the relationship but in the realm of consciousness
1: Another um, problem that we create for ourselves in building that um, uh, consciousness is that we don't properly appreciate the pairs of opposites. And all the great spiritual teachings say this. Um, The Buddha taught the noble middle way which runs between the pairs of opposites. It's very difficult to understand why we shouldn't cleave to one or the other, the one we favor over the one we dislike. And yet, as Alan Watts and all great spiritual teachers affirm, it's only in their coupling, in their completeness, that the pairs of opposites express unity. Both are needed. Uh, he said, Alan Watts said that we miss the fact that poles or aspects are really expressing the same thing but from two opposite polarities of the spectrum. But at the same time, we have no word, no vocabulary for that thing which the pairs of opposites express. The best we can call it is existence or being or God or the the great ocean of being or the ultimate ground. We don't have the vocabulary for that wholeness, that field of synthesis.
2: I think that uh, finding that pairs of opposites, and it comes out as the third way sometimes. Mm-hmm. We've seen this in po- certain political discussions of finding a third way uh, of between two opposing political points of view or two ethnic points of view that people are so dogmatic about holding on to. But it's finding that middle ground that uh, is really the way out because as long as you hold to the extremes you're never going to get ahead you're just going to stay at the extreme levels and it's finding that middle path which is the pathway of the Buddha the path of compassion of the Buddha and he had that complete point of view of compassion that could see the whole from the end as well as the part and uh, that's why he was advocated that um, finding that middle path
1: I think all of our suffering as human beings is that we get stuck on one side, uh, one aspect of the pairs of opposites and don't reconcile with with the other don't incorporate it the ultimate um, pairs of opposites that hang us up are life and death we favor life and dislike death and fear it and put it off as long as we can We don't see that life and death are part of a wholeness. They're that law of cycles that uh, I was talking about earlier. We need both. We need life. We need death, followed by more life. It's all a cycle, all a flow. The great teachings affirm this, but our whole Western orientation is to staving off death for as long as possible because we believe that life is only lived here on the material plane. And again, the factor of analysis has hypnotized us into believing all the fragments of the tangible world are real and everything else is not.
2: Yes, our study is too much oriented on on the brain itself and the brain cells and the minute particles in the brain and the minute um, sections of the brain <clears throat> and uh, we're not able to see that this this brain is perhaps just an organ and that there is something actually bigger and more lifelike that is working through it, more of a, a realm of consciousness.
1: One might ask then, how come we're afflicted with a brain and have to use it here on earth? I can only think that it's part of the intention of deity to know itself on the lowest level of our planetary life uh, and to recognize its oneness with itself on the highest plane of life. The Mageless um, Wisdom says there are several, seven planes uh, of existence and with each of those seven planes is further differentiated into seven sub-planes. All of them are expressive divinity, but we have to become awake and aware of that um, and that's our role as human beings because we have a mind we are supposed to be able to perceive deity, divinity in the tiniest and most material
2: fragment Right, and it's, it's the <coughs> capacity of the brain to, to see and to analyze the material world but it has to realize that it's only one one-seventh or one part of this great these seven stages that you mentioned, and that there are like six other stages of consciousness that lie beyond the brain, uh, brain itself, uh, but actually work through the brain in order to make contact with the physical world.
1: Well summed up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, you were um,
0: you were also saying that um, that life and death are part of the same con- concept. Now, if that's so, uh, uh, then should people be afraid of death?
1: Not at all. They should be ready for the next stage, whatever it is.
0: Please take advantage of a special offer from the losers Trust, and that's the paper entitled The Psychology of God. It's totally for free, no strings attached. It's um, taken from Esoteric Psychology, Volume 2, by Alice Bailey. So give us, a, give us a call and request the paper. We'll be happy to send it out to you uh, once again, free of charge. The title of it once again, The Psychology of God. Give us a call at excuse me, 1-866-695-8247. It's 1-866-695-8247. easy way to remember it is 1-866-NY-LUCIS. Think of one 866 York You've been listening to Inner Sight. Now we would like to close with a world prayer called The Great Invocation. It's a call for light and love and goodwill to flow into the world and into our hearts. Let's listen for a moment to these powerful words.
1: Let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth.